0: Open your Bibles to the book of Mark chapter 4 as we're going to continue in our series entitled Mighty Moments in the Book of Mark. As you make your way in this passage, again, I want to thank everyone uh, who had a part of serving this last week in Vacation Bible School. But I do want to single out two individuals or three individuals uh, particularly. Uh, first, I want to give a big thanks uh, to Ms. Jennifer Haynes and Ms. Leanne Blackwood who helped in kind of sharing that role as VBS directors from a volunteer standpoint. Can we give a huge hand uh, for them? And then, as always, uh, you know Brian Rice is our children's ministry director, and this was his first vacation Bible school uh, in that role. And he came in like a champ, and you would have never known uh, that this was a new role for him. I told somebody the other day that easily, uh, I could say that Brian Heist is one of the the best hires that I've ever had. Is in ministry, he's doing such a good job. So let's give Brian a big hand, thankful for him. With that being said, let's look at our text for today, Mark chapter four, beginning in verse thirty-five. Our text picks up just after Jesus has been healing and doing miraculous works among the people, so much so that the multitudes of people from all over begin to come to hear him speak. Now he's speaking them in parables, which means he's speaking in stories and illustrations, and then he's explaining those parables to his disciples in a more in-depth way after his teaching. We pick up here in this passage, in the evening... As Jesus has just wrapped up a long day of teaching and ministry. So I'm gonna invite you to let let's stand together and to recognize the reverence of God's word here today. Let me explain to you, by the way, while I've felt led to start doing this recently and asking us to stand in the reverence of God's Word. uh, As our society continues uh, to go in a direction Daniel prayed for it, other uh, um, prayed for it a moment ago, continues to drift further and further away from the things of God, the temptation for the church is to move the midline. Uh, You know, I'm seeing Christian people, Christian churches this month during Pride Month. Uh, that are celebrating things that God's Word explicitly uh, denies as outside of His design, something that we shouldn't celebrate. And so I believe our response is just to continue to hold the Scripture as the highest authority uh, that we have in life. And so we're just going to make sure here at Enon in the days ahead uh, that we make a big deal out of the truth of the Word of God. Not that we haven't before, but just a little thing like us standing and saying, you know what, God, this is You speaking to us. Can we say amen to that? Are we good with that here today? Let's, let's give the Lord a big hand uh, for that. Mark chapter 4 beginning in verse 35. Scripture says, on that day when evening came he said to them, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd they took him along with them in the boat just as he was and the other boats were with him. And there arose a fierce gale of wind and the waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was already filling up. Jesus himself was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? He got up and rebuked the wind and the sea, saying, Hush, be still. And the wind died down, and it became perfectly calm. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they became very much afraid and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Let's pray. Father, I pray in Jesus' name. Would you give me the strength and the wisdom and the discernment to preach your word today? And God, I do pray, Lord, for those who are in the middle of a storm, or God, maybe even just training us for the days ahead, or even, God, looking back on how you worked in the past. God, I pray today, would you speak in power for your name and glory? And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, church family, there's so much to see in this text, but easily the crux of this story is one of great urgency As the disciples of Jesus are caught in a life-threatening storm. Have you ever been in a terrible storm, like a weather event that was pretty uh, incredible, pretty scary? We had a pretty powerful weather event uh, just this last week, you know, with a bad thunderstorm that came through. Some of you have been in tornadoes and those things. But not many people can say, especially here in central Alabama, that we've been in a very bad weather event, a scary weather event on the sea or on the ocean and several years ago I actually experienced uh, that. My dad lives in Gulf Shores and he had a fishing boat and we were going to be going out to, to go try to catch some red snapper. We went about 20 miles off the coast there into the Gulf and We were fishing, having a good time, and my dad's uh, friend Will was with us. Now, Will was the more experienced person on the Gulf. My dad had just recently purchased this boat. And so as we're fishing, Will looks up and he said, Guys, do you see those two big storm clouds? And they were really dark, kind of just nefarious-looking storm clouds. And they were coming together, converging. And it was between us and the 20-mile trek that we had to get back to the shore. And he said, Guys, I think we better stop and we better try to outrun this storm. It's going to be a bad one. So we get in and we start making our way as fast as we can go, but uh, you know we, we couldn't get there fast enough. We saw these storm clouds converge in front of us, and the only way to get home was to go through them. So we start making our way through this these storm, and it starts kicking up six to seven foot waves in a center console boat. And my dad and his friend Will are sitting in the captain's chairs, and I'm holding on to the back, trying to stay out of the rain as rain is just pouring into the boat and then waves are coming over the side of the boat and as we would hit these waves going as fast as we can a wave we would hit but then the wave would drop and we would be airborne in the center console boat and then we'd hit the water like a ton of bricks and I can remember holding on the back of these chairs and we would go airborne watching my feet come off the ground thinking this is not good you know And, and then we would hit the ground again and And I remember, uh, it's something in my mind said, well, hey, Will is the experienced guy. I know my dad just bought this boat. He's as clueless as I am. But if he's good, all is well. And about midway through it, Will turned around and screamed through the chaos and said, hey, Zach. And I just met this guy this morning. I said, yeah. He said, didn't you say you was a preacher? I said, I did. He said, I'd have a word with you, boss, if I was you. (laughs) Praise the Lord, we finally made it on the other side and made it home. But it was scary. Now, while that might be funny, the truth is is that when you're in the middle of a great storm, it's not funny at all. The fact is, is that not all storms that we face in life have to do with weather. The term, the storms in life, is uniquely Christian in its origin. It helps us describe difficult and scary seasons in life. While the term finds its roots in Christian teaching, the reality is, is almost everyone understands the negative connotation when someone speaks about going through the storms in life. In 1986, country music singer Randy Travis released an album, an album entitled The Storms of Life based off a sad song that he sang in his unique whining voice. And the lyrics said this, The storms of life are washing me away. Sometimes life can feel like that. It can feel like our storms are difficult and and for many reasons. They can come on us quick. They can be scary. Storms can cause a lot of damage and loss and suddenly you feel out of control. You can lose your job and feel like you're in the middle of a financial storm. You can be struggling with your health physically or emotionally and feel like you're in a storm. Your, Your relationships can be suffering and you can be in the middle of a storm with your marriage or with your children. However, as difficult as storms in life are, we see from our text today that God is not absent in our storms and that God is working a plan. So the title of our message today is just truths about God's workings in our storms. Now, as your pastor today, I want you to know that I believe and I know and I realize that many of you in this room are in a storm. Just last week when we talked about the movement of the power of God and I asked the question, how many of you in this room today are in need of the power of God? And it seemed as if almost half of the room raised their hands. Many of you, that may be because you are in the middle of a great storm. My prayer today is that God would inform us in His Word about what it looks like to go through a storm, that God would prepare us for the days ahead, but that also for many of you in this room, that God would speak peace be still over your hearts today to hush, to see your storms in life calmed in a supernatural way. So we're praying that this morning. So that being said, if you're keeping notes today, the first truth of this text is it shows us that God's people will face storms in their lives. You know, a close look at this passage reveals three major factors that Mark highlights as he tells the story about Jesus and his disciples encountering this storm. It highlights the fact that they faced a storm. It talks about how they got into the storm and how severe the storm actually was. So I want to take a few moments to speak on those specific topics. First, this text reminds us that God's people will deal with storms in their lives. One of the most basic truths that we can see from this passage is that Jesus himself, along with the disciples, with his inner circle, is that they all have to endure a very difficult storm. We need to think about this for a moment. Here we find the foundation, the founders, the pillars of the first church, these great men and women of faith that they had to endure a very difficult and scary situation. You know, And this shouldn't surprise us from the rest of Jesus' teaching. Jesus regularly reminds us that God's people will endure storms in life. Jesus said in John chapter 16, verse 33, He said, These things I've spoken to you so that you may have peace. In the world, you have tribulation. He's saying, in the world, you're going to go through hard moments. But take courage, I have overcome the world. God's people going through storms in life doesn't mean that they are sinful or that they displease God. Now, can God use storms in our lives to discipline his people? Yes, I believe he can. Go ask Jonah what happens when you're running away from God. Sometimes God can send a storm to draw his people back when we are turning towards sin. However, do storms and difficulties in our lives always mean that we are being disciplined? Absolutely not. Some of the greatest men and women in the Bible were marked not by their blessings in life, but by their burdens in life. Daniel was thrown into a lion's den. David was twice, had a coup and had to, on, him, on his kingship, and he had to flee from Jerusalem for his life. John the Baptist, the one who prepared the way for Jesus, was beheaded. And the Apostle Paul, the greatest missionary of the New Testament, regularly spoke about his hardships and his struggles. I want you to hear these words from the Apostle Paul. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23-29. He speaks of his sufferings. He says, five times I have received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I've been beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've spent in the sea. I've been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights. In hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. Apart from such these externals, there is a daily pressure of me of concern for all the churches. Who is weak without my being weak? Who is led into sin without my intense concern? If I have to boast, this is what Paul said, I will boast of what pertains to my weaknesses. Paul said my greatest legacy are the struggles that I have endured. Church family, the storms of life are real for God's people. And despite what poor theologians may say, it doesn't always mean that you're sinful or that you don't have enough faith. Can I get an amen to that this morning? Just because you're going through a hard situation doesn't mean that you don't trust God enough. Just because you're going through a hard situation doesn't mean that you are necessarily sinful. Some storms in life are just part of living in a sinful world. One pastor once said, rightfully I believe, that, and I don't mean to speak this to speak fear over you. My hope is after today is that you're not afraid of the storms that you may go into. But I heard someone say recently that basically all of us are either in a storm, we're either headed into a storm, or we are coming out of a storm. And I think that's true for most of us in this life. Secondly, we need to know that God sometimes arranges the storms of our life. There's one thing that's unique about uh, God's people in this storm is that Jesus, the Son of God, is physically present with them in the storm. In fact, the journey across the Sea of Galilee at night was His idea. Mark wrote this story in such a way that it would be clearly known that they understood that Jesus was working his purposes in the storm. Basically, Mark wrote it in such a way that when we read it looking back on it, they knew that Jesus had caused this storm. It was not an accident. Now, why do we know that? Well, 1 Colossians chapter 1 tells us that Jesus is before all things, so he stood on the other side of time. and He knew this storm was going to be there and it was going to take place. Also, the fact that Jesus is supernaturally asleep during the storm is a representation of his peace in the storm because it wasn't unexpected to him and it didn't startle him. Also, as Mark concludes the story with Jesus' rebuke of the lack of faith of his followers, it shows us that he was working his purpose in the storm. Just before getting into the boat, Jesus was teaching about faith and then now Jesus was testing their faith. But for our purposes today, we need to see that this storm was not an accident, but it was divinely arranged by Jesus. Now, I believe that not all difficulties and storms we face in life are directly arranged by God, especially when it pertains to us being sinned against. If a person has a family member, for example, who is murdered, I don't believe that God caused that murder because God is separate from sin. He is holy and He hates sin. However, In some way beyond our understanding, God allowed that to take place but is still separate and distant from sin. But even though God may not have directly arranged the storms in our lives to be caused by sin, He is still able to use and work it for our good. Now we'll talk more about this in a moment, but what we need to know right now is that the reason why God sometimes arranges the storms in our life like He did here with the disciples is because God is always wanting to use difficult seasons in our life for His glory and our good. The Bible makes it really clear that God uses our sufferings to grow and work a purpose in the lives of His people. James chapter 1, verses 2-4 through four speaks about this. It says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you face various trials, knowing the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So, what we see in this passage is that Jesus has arranged a temporary storm in the lives of God's people so as to work a greater purpose for his good and, their, and for their good and his glory in their lives. And this has been true throughout the Scripture in the lives of God's people. We see God using storms to bring people where he would have them to be. We see that before David faced a giant in Goliath, that David faced the storm of having to fight a lion and a bear as a shepherd. We see that Saul, before he became a great missionary of Christianity, that he had to face the storm of being blind and left for three days in Damascus. And we see in John, before he wrote the incredible apocalyptic book of the book of Revelations, that he faced the storm of being imprisoned and exiled on the Isle of Patmos. Christians, we can't blame God for every storm we face in life, but he does want to make us better through every storm we face in life. Now the reason why this is so important for us to know that God has potentially arranged and at the very very foundational level we know He is working in the storms of our lives that we face is ultimately because it changes our perspective while we're in the middle of pain. It changes us if I believe that God has a purpose in it. Let me give you an example. When I go to the gym and exercise or when I go on a jog Uh, I'm intentionally inflicting pain on myself and my muscles because I know there's something good on the other side. I I know that my health will be better, my stress will be less, my sleep will improve, and I'll feel a little less guilty about the pound cake that I'm going to eat that evening. If I had to go to the gym, though, and inflict this pain on my body, and not know that there was any positive influence on the any positive outcome on the other side of that, then it would be a terribly miserable experience. Some of you here today, you need to know that in the middle of a storm, you need to know that God is doing something right there where you are. Your pain will not be painless, painless, pointless. Your woe will not be wasted. Your burden will not always be bad. But God will one day use your burdens for His glory and your good. Sometimes you just need to know that. God, I don't know why I'm in the middle of this storm, but I know you are working a purpose on the other side of it. Thirdly, we need to know that storms we face in life can sometimes be severe. If there's one reality that Mark paints vividly in this gospel, it's that the disciples genuinely thought that this storm was going to take their lives. Notice there, as the scripture speaks about the severity of the storm. In Mark Mark 4, verses 37 and 38, he uses the word, a fierce gale of wind. He talks about the waves breaking over the boat. He talks about the boat filling up. And then they say, when they go to wake Jesus up, they say, Jesus, do you not care that we are perishing Now, let me give you some context here to help understand how bad the storm actually was. First off, they had set out for a minute. It seems like from the scripture that they had been on the sea for a moment there, enough time for Jesus to fall asleep. And you know, you only have to be two miles out into the ocean to no longer be able to see the shore. The Sea of Galilee is seven miles wide there. So it's very likely that they're in the middle of a storm and they have no direction to be able to get home. We also need to know that the terrain of the Sea of Galilee is set up to be able to quickly generate a terrible storm. As cooler air travels down from the northern Golan Heights, it collides with the warm weather air in the basin of the lake and it can suddenly create turbulent conditions. In 1992, one such storm was generated that created 10-foot-high waves on the Sea of Galilee, causing the lake to flood much of the city of Tiberias. We also need to know that the language used to describe the storm shows its severity. The term fierce gale, as we see here, means the winds of a powerful storm. Mark adds the term in the Greek that it was a great storm. The word in the Greek means megos. It's where we get the idea of mega. It is a mega storm, according to Mark. In Matthew chapter 8, Matthew tells the same story, but he uses the word seismos to describe the violent shaking of the storm. It's the same word that we use to describe earthquakes. From these words, we can get this idea. Matthew said, hey, it was like an earthquake on the water. Mark is saying, this is a great mega storm. But probably the greatest illustration that we have here of knowing how bad this storm was is that we know at this point Jesus had already called Peter, Andrew, James, and John to be his disciples. And they are professional fishermen on this lake. They make a living on this lake. Have you ever gone to somebody who does their job and you just watch them, and it's kind of a dangerous job, and they walk around like there's nothing to it? I remember when Kimberly and I uh, were on vacation this last summer, we drove through Cincinnati, Ohio, and they were building one of these high rises. And as they were building it, you saw guys that were working that high steel walking around and acting like it's just no, 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 just a normal day. And I'm like, man, you are like a thousand feet off the ground right now, you know. These guys would have been accustomed to being on the sea. And what did they say to Jesus? Lord, do you not care that we're perishing? They had never seen anything like this and they were fully expecting to die. Church, we need to know that this storm was as bad as it gets. People talk about hitting rock bottom. Well, Jesus' followers are there. Now, the reason why it's so important for us to know how bad this storm really was is because we need to know that God's people can experience the worst of the worst situations. We see this throughout the Bible and church history. We see Christians martyred like Stephen and the rest of the apostles. In the Roman history, we see Christians being released into the great Colosseum there in Rome and being attacked and killed by wild animals to the cheers of the crowd. In modern day, we see Christians like Cory ten Boom and others who were persecuted and killed in the concentration camps of Nazi Germany. And presently, all over the world today, Christians living in Muslim and communist world are being imprisoned, tortured, and beheaded just for following Jesus. Now we need to know that God's people can experience the worst of situations not to discourage us today but to encourage us today. Because even though Christians have been facing the worst of the worst storms since Christ has walked on the earth, God has still been present and God has still sustained them. Church family, the fact that we are here today in Morris, Alabama, in the year in which we live, we are here today because Jesus has walked some of our ancestors in the faith through some of the worst situations in life, but he was present enough that their faith survived and sustained them even beyond their deaths. This passage shows us and reminds us that God's people can experience the worst of situations, but God can sustain them through it. So this is our first truth today, is that it is possible, it is real, God's people will face storms in our life. Our second main truth today is that this text shows us that God intervenes in our storms. While the the focus of these first few verses is without doubt the severity of the storm. In verses 38 and 39, the focus of the story radically shifts to Jesus intervening in their storm. Look with me in verse 38. It says, Jesus himself was in the stern asleep on a cushion. And they woke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? He got up and rebuked the wind and the sea and said, hush, be still. And the wind died down and it became perfectly calm. Man, church family, can you imagine being sidelined to a situation like this? One minute, everything is chaotic. One minute, death is a real possibility. And then you see Jesus speak to the storm, and suddenly everything goes perfectly calm is what the Scripture says. I was reading this last week, and Charles Spurgeon referred to this statement. He said, once the word of the Master was spoken, as the sea became as marble, like a marble floor, like a a pond, is when Jesus spoke. The closest thing that I have seen in my day or heard of in my day of God doing a work like this was several years ago. My brother was in the uh, mountains there in Peru. And they were sharing the gospel with some indigenous people that really had no connection to the gospel. And they had set up a movie screen uh, in the middle of this field with generators and things. And they were showing the Jesus film in their language. And as these people were watching the Jesus film, hearing the gospel, they saw a wall cloud, a storm coming their way. And they knew that if if the rain, if the storm got to them, it was going to scatter these people and the gospel opportunity would be lost. And so they gathered together behind the people and began to pray and ask God, say, God, would you sustain us? And they literally watched God part the clouds to go on either side around them and then reconnect behind them. He said it was like God took a jar and put it over the top of them and let the storm part around them. God is still a God who can speak to the storms. Many of you are in this room today and you long for Jesus to step into your world right now, to speak to your storm to be calm. I want to tell you today that we are praying that God does that for you today. And myself and our other pastors are willing to pray with you today at the conclusion of our service, service that God would meet you in your storm and possibly calm your storm. And I would encourage you to don't be afraid to come in a few moments and let us pray for you as we did with so many others in the first service. Well, that being said, though, let me give you a few truths that we need to know though, about God's intervention in our storms. First, this passage reminds us that before God intervenes in the life of His children, He's already present. Before God steps into the storm, He's already in the storm. Before God does the work in the storm, He's already there. One of the things that this passage highlights is the fact that Jesus is with them in the storm. Now He's silent, He's asleep, but He's there. Now, sometimes when we're going through great storms and difficulties in our lives, it may seem like God is absent or inactive. But according to Scripture, He is always there, even when it seems like He's silent. In Psalms 139, verses 7 and 8, the psalmist speaks about the nearness of God in all situations, even in the bad. He says, where can I go from your spirit, or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. And then he says, if I make my bed in Sheol... Basically says, even if I go down to death, behold, you are there. There's a scene in the movie Forrest Gump where Jenny and Forrest, who are friends, are walking and talking. And they come upon an old abandoned home where Jenny had grown up. And suddenly, sadly, where her father had abused her as a child. As those thoughts came back to her, suddenly she began to throw rocks at the house in anger and rage. Until she collapses on the ground in exhaustion and tears. And then Forrest, who is Jenny's best friend, softly sits next to her as she cries. And the narrator says, sometimes there just aren't enough rocks. In a gospel perspective, this story reminds us that when we face great difficulties and storms in our lives, and that even in the moments when there aren't enough rocks for us to be able to fix the storm, or end the storm on our own, just having Jesus sit down next to us and weep with us gives us great comfort. Jesus May have physically been sleeping in this passage, but he was working a purpose. He was there. Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5 remind us that recognizing the nearness of God is something that believers should do regularly, especially in our storms. It's a great passage to memorize. Rejoice in the Lord. Again I say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be made known unto all men that the Lord is near. Sometimes you just got to quote that over your life and quote that in the middle of your situation. Oh, God, I thank you that you're near. God, you are near to me right now. Friends, if you're in a storm today or if you feel one blowing into your life tomorrow, do not be afraid because Jesus will be with you no matter what. Secondly, this passage reminds us that our prayers can play a role in God's intervention in our storms. In verse 38 We see that when the storm had gotten the worst, that those in the boat, they came to Jesus and they woke him up saying, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? In this verse, we see that the disciples were desperate and in their desperation, they responded to Jesus in a seemingly sarcastic and honestly irreverent way. They asked the God of all comfort if he cared. Now, as we'll see in a moment, Jesus in His grace and mercy and understanding of their fearful state seems to ignore their irreverence and ultimately rises and comes to their need. Regardless of the fact that they were somewhat irreverent in their approach of Jesus, the fact is that their desperation, they came to Him and God's, this is where God's intervention started. This passage should remind all of us that when we are dealing with storms in our life, prayer is where we should reside. The Apostle Paul spoke about how prayer should be the most frequent place of believers when he said in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17 that we should be a people who pray without ceasing. He said again in Philippians 4, 6, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, in everything, by prayer and supplication. What's supplication? Dr. Steve Gaines used to say supplication is prayer in high gear. That's where you put it in B for boogie. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. In Psalms chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, the psalmist talks about praying in his own storm. And this is what he says. O Lord, how my adversaries have increased. Many are rising up against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no deliverance for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me. My glory and the one who lifts my head. Listen to verse 4. I was crying to the Lord with my voice, and he answered me from his holy mountain." Here in Birmingham, we all love the man, James Spann, the weatherman. Now, James Spann gives a lot of great advice. I love to hear him talk about social media where he talks about the face bag and all this other stuff. He gives great advice like respect the polygon. Okay, it's good. It's probably very good advice. But one thing that James Spann always talks about is when a storm is getting close or heading your direction, he'll say, go to your safe place. Go find your safe place. Church family, this passage should remind us that prayer should be the safe place for believers when we're in the middle of a storm. It should be the place that we go. It should be the place that we reside. It should be the place that we stay in in the midst of a storm. And that's hard sometimes. It's hard to pray when you're broken. But I want to remind us that this prayer, this passage also reminds us that prayer is okay and God hears our prayers no matter what it looks like. When you're In a storm, God hears prayers that are full of faith, but also hears prayers that are full of fear. God hears prayers from the devoted, but God also hears prayers from the desperate. God hears prayers from those who are surrendered in hearts and from those of suffering hearts. God hears our prayers through bitterness, through questions, through anger, through turmoil. And the Bible even says that God even hears our prayers when we don't even have the words to pray. In Romans chapter 8, verse 26, it says this, In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. For when we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So when I can't even pray, oh God, I'm just groaning, I'm calling out to you. God intervenes on our behalf. Church family, when prayer is hard, Just posture yourself before God in prayer. Sometimes it's just laying on your face before God and saying, Oh God, in the storm I have nothing to do. God, I don't even know what to say, but oh God, here I am. And God honors those types of prayers. Charles Spurgeon said, Groanings which cannot be uttered are often prayers that cannot be refused. Like a parent who always hears the cries of their own child in the midst of other children, the father always hears the cries of their child. You ever been in that place with a child or a grandchild? It's on a playground. You hear squeals and screaming of a hundred different children. But your, your child starts to cry in pain. Your child starts to cry out and you can pick out your child's cry. And why is that? Because they're, there. They're, they're yours. The same is true here today. Is that when you're a child of God, God hears our cries. This passage also reminds us that prayer is often the turning point in the lives of God's people. Church family, don't get me wrong. If God is using a storm in our lives to teach us something, I don't believe that it will blow over until God's purposes are completed. And even then, I think that prayer should be where we reside because I believe that it's going to help us see God's plan. However, we can't help but notice here that when they went to Jesus, that's when intervention began. Friends, if you are in a storm today, you getting desperate and serious about prayer may lead to the releasing of the power of God in your life. Let prayer be the place that you go, and that's often where God interacts. And then finally, this passage reminds us that when it comes to God's intervention, God is able to calm the storms of our life. In verse 39, we see the climax of the story. Easily the climax of the story. Jesus stands up. He looks at the wind and the waves. And he says, hush, be still. And the winds died down and became perfectly calm. Here Jesus did what only God could do. He did the miraculous. He did the impossible. He did the supernatural. Like a father speaking to their child or their toddler saying, hush and sit down. And they do it because they know that the father is the father. Jesus speaks to the waves and says, hush and be still. And it's like a toddler who suddenly takes their place. And why does the waves do that? Because I believe even creation knew the voice of Jesus because it was the voice of Jesus who had spoken into existence. Jesus speaks and everything becomes still. Now, church family, this might seem old and cliche. It it might seem like preacher talk. And honestly, I almost talked myself out of saying it just because you've all probably heard it before. But as I contemplated this, I felt the Spirit rise up within me and prompt me to remind you of something today that you may already know, but you need to hear again. And that is... Church family, there is no storm too great for God to come. There is no valley too low for God to lift you out of. There is no place too far that God can't bring you back from. If you're in a dark place today, one word from heaven can speak peace to the storm in your life. (laughs) And why do we think Mark and Matthew... Why do we think the New Testament is filled with these stories if not to ignite the faith and the followers of Jesus after us to let us know that God is a God who can step in, who is still the same yesterday, today, and forever. Like we talked about last week, church, about what does it look like when God is at work among His people. I believe we see God calming some storms. And I think sometimes out of fear of being Stepping into theologically mysteriousness. And God doesn't always calm every storm that we ever want. God is sovereign over all things. But hear me today. I don't believe that that is ever intended for God to not want us or desire us to call out to Him for it. To believe Him for it. I've got a pastor friend of mine that he was going... uh, regularly to the hospital for his own medical treatments that he would pray for people he noticed that there was a christian lady that was there one of the nurses and she prayed with every one of her patients and he asked the question he said ma'am what do you do when god doesn't answer like you have prayed she said i just keep praying for the next one she said it's my responsibility to pray and believe and i'll let god be god church family let us be a people who will just pray and believe And with that being said, church family, today our final truth is that this text shows us that God uses the storms in our life. The last portion of this story comes just after Jesus had calmed the storm and we see Him addressing His followers and their response to Him. And this is where we see exactly what Jesus was doing through this storm. In Mark chapter 4, verses 40 and 41, it says, And Jesus said to them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith. They became very much afraid and said to one another, who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Now these are those moments where I like to put myself in that sanctified imagination moment. Can you imagine this moment? Like I I picture the disciples, they are still soaking wet water, still beating off of their face and their beards. Jesus kind of steps down off the front of the boat, the stern where he had stood to, to calm the seas, to speak to the seas. And it suddenly goes calm and he turns around and he sees them. They're standing there kind of wide-eyed and dripping with water. And I can kind of see, get this idea of the, the clouds, the clouds dissipating, the moonlight and the stars start coming in on them. And Jesus looks at him and says, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they're looking at one another like, what in the world just happened? And then they look at one another and they say, the Bible says, and they look at one another, who is this that even the wind and the seas obey? They're kind of that moment like, hey, we didn't realize who was in the boat with us. This passage reminds us of a couple of things. This passage reminds us that what do storms do in our life? First, this passage tells us that storms show us where we are with God. And that was the intention of Jesus taking the disciples through the storm was to show them where they were with God. Now, sure, they believed prior to this, Jesus is doing miracles and they are believing faith and all that, but suddenly it's different when you're believing God for what he can do for others, but when you're in the middle of it, it's different. It's different when it's you. I heard somebody say during the pandemic, and this thing is a really good evaluation, when we are crushed, what's in us comes out of us. And when you go through a storm, you are crushed. You start to ask yourself, what what really comes out of me? When I go through a storm, do I run to prayer? When 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 I'm crushed, does my soul go to desperation? Am I fearful? Here's the question. When I am crushed, do I believe that my God is able? Storms show us where we are with God. Church family, if you're in the middle of a storm, or maybe you've just recently come out of a storm, but we maybe kind of missed that lesson, go back and ask ourselves, where, what did that storm teach me? What did it teach me about my faith? It shows us where we are with God. But secondly, it grows us with God. There's something about going through a difficult season of life that grows your faith and walk with God like nothing else. As we go through life struggles and storms in our lives, essentially they earn us advancing degrees in the kingdom of God. You get your associate's degree when you face storms at work or at school. You get your bachelor's degree in the kingdom when you face storms with your health. You get your master's degree when you face storm in the lives of your kids and loved ones. Can I get an amen to that here today? We get our doctorate degrees when we face death. And a loss in our own families. But as we travel through each one of these storms, we learn more about God. We learn more about the mercy of God. We learn more about who He is. And its purpose is it grows us in our relationship with Jesus. We are different when you've gone on one side of the storm. You're different on the other side of the storm once you've gone through it. Some of you, I want you to know that you've been on the other side of a storm And that's what God wants to use as one of your greatest ministries. God wants to take your pain and make it your platform. God wants to take what you've been through and let it be one of your greatest ministries. Like James chapter 1, 2 and 4 says, When you encounter various trials, God is working His purpose. He's producing endurance. Probably the greatest example of how storms grow our faith comes if we look at this story and then we fast forward to Matthew chapter 14. I love this, by the way. Matthew chapter 14, and we're about to close. Matthew chapter 14. It's a significant time after this first storm. We see the disciples are in another storm in a boat on the water that Jesus told them to go on. Jesus told them to get in a boat, go on the other side of the sea there. But this time Jesus doesn't go with them. So it's about the middle of the night. Again, nighttime Dark, far from shore, they're in another bad, terrible storm. But this time the Bible says Jesus did something different. Jesus starts walking to them on the sea and they are freaking out. Okay, I mean, like they're like, What in the world's going on? Is it a ghost? Who is it? But the Bible says that Peter looks at Jesus and makes a very odd request Lord, if it's you, bid me to come out on the water with you. And, and you kind of can, it almost seems like, Really? That's the question you're going to ask. But Jesus, I think welcoming that kind of faith, Jesus says, then come. Peter steps out of the water and becomes the second man in the history of the world to walk on water. He walks a few steps. And then what happens? He looks and he sees the storm. He sees the waves and he gets fearful again. He starts to sink. He cries out to Jesus. Jesus takes him by the hand, walks him to the shore, puts him in the boat, gets in the boat with him. And again, the disciples, and the Bible says it goes completely calm. And they're looking at him again like, oh my goodness, you did it again. Who is this that walks on the sea? Now most of the time we tell that story as a story of a lack of faith. We tell that story, now listen, you know, we, we don't want to be like Peter. We want to be one who steps out on the water and don't look at the worry around you and, and don't start sinking. And I think that that's true to an aspect. But you only really see that story as a lack of faith if you don't know the rest of the life of Peter. Because when I read that story in light of Mark chapter 4 here, what I see is not a lack of faith. I see a faith that has grown. See, the first storm that Peter went through, It was all about the storm. He was afraid he was going to die. The second storm he goes through, he's asking Jesus if he could go walk on water. He's not as worried about the storm as he was the first time. Now granted, he didn't quite have the faith yet to be able to walk on water successfully or to sustain it. But he did have the faith to go through the storm. Church family? Some of you today needs to know that your storm, God is clothing you with armor. God is clothing you with faith. God is preparing you. He is stiffening your spine. He is strengthening your faith muscles. So the next storm you go through in life, you'll be able to stand more confidently and say, I know that my God is able. And I want you to know another thing. This is why, by the way, this is why we need multi-generation in church. This is why we need some of our senior saints to get to know, man, some of our high school students and college students. Because I need to see people who have gone through the storms that I'm in and have come out on the other side. I I need to see the faith of those who have walked and carried those burdens that I'm carrying now and seen that you came out on the other side and expressing Jesus' every funeral that I do and watch a, a faithful wife or husband say goodbye to a saint of the Lord and their spouse. And I see that and I say, that is real faith. That's a Jesus who can sustain. It builds the rest of us up church family, going through storms shows your faith, but it also grows your faith. This morning I'm going to ask Brother Ron to come and the first thing that I just want to ask you this is very simply this morning if you are in the middle of a storm today, or maybe you're one of those people that just hearing the truth in this world you face trials that scares you you're afraid of the storms. Then I want to invite you today, myself and our pastors, we will be here and we just love to pray for you. This is what the church is supposed to be. We love one another. We pray with one another. The Bible says we bear one another's burdens. If that's you here today, we want to pray with you and pray over you. So that's the first question we have today. Secondly, I would say, if you don't know Jesus today, then who is with you in your storm? What a scary place to be. If you've been reading through the one-year Bible, and I hope you have, I hope you are. If you haven't, man, you can jump in on that journey with us at any place. We've got them available. We'd love to sell you one. We'll even give you one. If you you don't have, listen, we'd love to put one in your hands. If you've been reading through the one-year Bible journey, you read just this last week about the death of Stephen, the first Christian martyr. I love the life of Stephen. The Bible says that Stephen is a man full of faith, and of the Holy Spirit. Oh God, let that be true in me. Be full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. He's preaching the gospel, man. God is working and moving through. And the Bible says he's doing the supernatural. He's even healing people. And because of the stir, the Jewish leaders arrest him. Stephen preaches the gospel boldly before him. And they rush him out of the city. And they begin to stone him. I can't describe to you in detail how gruesome of a death stoning is. The Bible says in the middle of this storm, the last storm that Stephen will face in this life, the storm of death, the Bible says that he looks into heaven, he turns his eyes towards heaven, and he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. You know it's the only place in the scripture where Jesus is standing and it's the only place that we get an image of Jesus while somebody is dying in the faith. Let me say what I believe it's saying today. Is it, is it, it is as if Jesus is standing clapping for Stephen, applauding him and it is, it is as if Jesus is saying come home my son come to me my child let me say something to you this morning when God's people go through storms God is with them he is near to him. And this morning, if you don't know Jesus, the Bible says that you are without hope and without God in this world. You're alone. But you do not have to stay that way. So you can give your life to Jesus this morning. You can say, Jesus, I want you to be the Lord of my life. Forgive me of my sins. Save me. And I want to follow you the rest of my life. And he can enter your heart and life today and change you forever. In fact, I'm going to invite you right there where you are. Would everybody just bow your head, close your eyes just for a moment. If you don't know Jesus this morning, you say, Pastor Jack, I know I'm alone. I want him to save me. Right there where you are, can you pray this very simple prayer? From your heart to God, dear Jesus, please save me. I don't want to be alone anymore. Forgive me of my sin. I believe in you. Save me. Save me. Now with every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody's looking around. This is just totally between you and I. I'm not going to embarrass you, anything like that. This is just between you and I in this moment alone. If you ask Jesus to save you this morning, would you just look up at me? Nobody's looking around. I just make eye contact with me right there. I'm just surveying the room. I just want to be able to pray for you. Again, I'm not going to ask you to come forward or embarrass you in any way. Amen. Others in this room, you say, Pastor Zach, that's me. I asked Jesus to save me this morning. Just glance up and keep your eyes on me just for a moment here as I survey the room. Is that you here today? Don't be afraid to look up. If you ask Jesus to save you, you say, I don't want to be alone in my storms. Amen. Amen. So that's you. Let me say this to you. If you gave your life to Jesus this morning, if you put your faith in Him, and here in a few moments, I just want you to take that little card of the seat back in front of you. and You can mark on it, I gave my life to Jesus today. You can put that in one of these collection boxes as we are dismissed, and myself or one of our pastors will get in touch with you. We'll talk to you about walking in that, living in that. Like we said before, if you're a follower of Jesus this morning and you're in a storm, our pastors are going to be up front. If you need somebody to pray for you, then you feel free to come. If you'd like to join this church today, you feel free to come. I ask you to stand right there where you are. Church family, can we stand all over this room? Let me pray for us. If you need to come, come this morning. Father, we love you. We praise you. God, I pray Would you speak today? For your name and glory, in Jesus' name, amen. You come now as we sing.